0: Thank you, everyone, for tuning into Our Human Experience. Today, we have the honor of sitting down with Aaron Olden, MD. And Aaron's going to share his story about starting in the field of medicine. Uh, He was and he practiced in internal medicine to begin with in his career, moved on to some palliative care, and has since moved on to open his own practice called Mindful Medicine Rochester. The transition has been really amazing. Getting to know Aaron over the last few years, he's, he's such a great healer and practitioner of medicine and has really found a way to blend his knowledge and understanding of Western medicine with understanding and philosophies and tools from Eastern medicine. To truly get to the root of treating his patients' chronic pain, uh, some of their depression, their anxiety, and a variety of other symptoms. So sit back, enjoy the show, and please welcome Dr. Aaron Holden. All right, everyone. We are back with our human experience, and today we have the honor, Melissa and I have the honor of hosting our good friend Aaron Olden. Uh, Aaron, when did we first meet? Four or five years ago, maybe?
1: Man, I mean, I think actually we met through Kurt, probably. Kurt probably introduced us a couple of years ago um, when you guys were maybe transitioning from Boomtown into Kinetics, and I was working out with Kurt over at... uh, at the other gym, I think it was just maybe a few years ago.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, we, uh, you know, we were lucky enough to be introduced through a mutual friend, and Aaron has a really interesting story, and we're going to get into that today. Uh, and we have since collaborated with him on several projects. We, you know, we go and see him as a care provider. We refer people to him because he's awesome at what he does. Uh, But what's really interesting is that Aaron has a background in medicine and transitioned from the more Western-type medical field into a more traditional, we'll call it Eastern Chinese medicine-type philosophy and blending those two together in a really productive way to help his clients actually see progress in their health, in their pain, in their stress management, all these things that to the best of my knowledge, you saw were lacking when you were focused you know, strictly on the, the kind of Western medicine model that we currently operate out of. Um, I don't wanna to talk too much out of turn. I'd love to hear a little bit of your background and just talk to us about what you're doing today and kind of how you got to this point.
1: Yeah, sure. Well, thank you guys for having me here. Um, I know we've been trying to get this on the books for a while, but it's, I'm glad that we made it happen. Um, Yeah, so my name's Aaron Olden. I usually just pretty much go by my first name, although um, I have an MD I trained at uh, Buffalo, um, where I grew up. That's where I did my medical school, and most of my other training I've done here in Rochester um, came here back in probably about 2003, and I've lived here since then. Uh, Yeah, you mentioned my training was in Western medicine, which... um, which technically my my training was in internal medicine, which really looks at all the organs of the body, you know, the kidneys, the lungs, the liver, all those sorts of functions. And, you know, we're sort of thought of as like the detectives of medicine where, you know, someone can't really figure out what's happening and we're the sort of doctors that try to get to the root of the problem. Um, So that that was my training. And when I was at Strong, I took care of probably, um, you know, some of the sickest people in the city, in the ICUs, in the cardiac care units, and although it was, you know, exhilarating and great to see people turn around um, and make recoveries at the same time, it was highly stressful. Um, And I didn't really realize that at the time until I got my first sort of job after training um, and was no longer, you know, moving full force ahead just focusing on the goal and now like i was finally able to sort of experience life a little bit more and what i would say real life because in my training um you know i wasn't really out in the real world very much i pretty much lived in the hospital so you can't really think about much else um and then when i got that first job uh you know kind of settling in and um finally having time to think and process um you know I would say that's when things started to change. Although my journey kind of continued from that point on. Sure.
0: So, what was the what was the first job after training?
1: So I did uh, I did some extra training in palliative care, which um, for those of uh, for those folks who might be listening that don't know what that is, um, it's really pain management um, and care for folks with terminal illness. So, okay. you know, people who who have cancer <laughs> or have heart disease um, and maybe the focus is becoming much more on helping them just be comfortable or decide what therapies are, are going to give them more quality of life. I became very focused on quality of life Yeah. Um, and so that first job that I had was starting a program at uh, one of our hospitals here that didn't have a program in palliative care yet. Um, And uh, basically, was all inpatient medicine. So you know, working in a hospital, um, very little uh, sort of clinic-based. You know, going from room to room in the hospital, visiting people, adjusting their pain medications, adjusting their anxiety medications. Really focusing on symptoms, Mm -hmm. comfort.
0: Yeah, my my sister actually, when we had her on the show, she talked a lot about her. Interest in that from a mental health perspective, working mm-hmm. in palliative care. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's got to be. It, it's. We're so lucky to have people that are called to do those sort of things because it's got to just be such a difficult job to see. You know that I think of like hospice and all of these sort of places where you're just you're there for the end of life that a lot of us want to avoid and pretend is not happening or ever going to come and um, and you're just you know it's put in front of you every mm-hmm. single day. Do you think any of that aspect of it played a part in you starting to shift away from from one style of medicine to another?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it weren't for that experience. Okay. I mean, we, we really do in some cases, I think, want to deny that death is coming. Um, I certainly don't spend my days thinking about that right now, but having that <laughs> experience... That's probably know, good, <laughs> yeah. right? Ha- having that experience really... Uh, kind of shaped me and gave me an appreciation for life and um, not you know taking anything for granted and you know living in the moment and these sort of things that right now just sort of flow out you know naturally in my life you know it took a long time to uh, to build and to cultivate and so yeah certainly it wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it weren't uh, weren't for that experience I mean, you, and you know, you talk about it being difficult, which it certainly is. Um, you know, spending time with people who are, who are really sick. But in the same way, I think it, it I found it to be rewarding because, um, without the type of service that we provided, people were were very lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, the medical system is so confusing and very difficult to maneuver, and we helped people with that. And that's a little bit of what I do now uh, I don't do a lot of that sort of stuff now but um, I, I understand how the system works and so I, I can help people navigate that as one of the things that you know that I do
0: yeah yeah it's interesting that you, you bring that up I mean I would imagine that so one of the things that we come back to a lot is that we human beings in general we we tend to want to seek comfort yet we logically understand that growth is on the other side of difficulty. We you know I I always use the analogy of a movie, right? A movie about a young boy who grows up with his family intact, goes to school, no real hardship or challenges, goes to college, (laughs) leaves college, gets a job, starts a family, buys a house, grows into old age, and passes away in his sleep. That's a boring fucking movie that no one's watching, (laughs) right? So we, we're drawn to this idea of the hero's journey, and we're drawn to like learning from really difficult things that are in front of us, or being confronted with ideas that really challenge us, but yet we avoid them at all costs. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that being in those sort of scenarios, you said something about being grateful and appreciative. I've I noticed that in my own life, for the times and the spaces and the areas of the world that I've been in, it. You come back with a really different sense of like really being grateful, not just lip service to that thing, mm-hmm. right? You, when you walk around in another country and you see people that are literally dead on the street from just starving to death and no one cares, they're, they're stepping over them, going through the market sort of thing like that sort of stuff, it, it shifts your perception on a lot of things. And many of us don't. It's just not a typical thing for us to have access to anyway in this country, in our lives. So we have to almost seek it out. And a lot of people don't seek it out because they're nervous or they're frightened by it. But I think a lot of those things you can shift your perspective. And I would imagine that you probably saw this a little bit working in in palliative care where it is hard. It is sad. And it's oftentimes probably beautiful. Mm -hmm. When you see someone who, you know, you are able to relieve a certain amount of of their stress or their anxiety or their pain or help them with that thing. It's like, wow, this is a human being helping another human being, you know, or you see someone else doing that for them or their family or whatever there. You get to witness some of these moments that are very raw and authentic and they're innately human and they're really beautiful. And they're things that I think a lot of people... Avoid because we only associate them with the negative kind of aspects of it, right? That it's uncomfortable, it's painful, it's sad, et cetera, et cetera. So,
1: yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. Um, I think um, that also, I would add that you know one of the things that I would I heard often from patients or others in in um, in healthcare would be sort of this statement: "There's nothing more we can do." which is the most the off it's such an awful statement yeah. you know i mean okay so you got me to this part there's nothing more now what so you're just letting me go and you know i tried to sort of reframe that and say well there's there's still a lot we can do i mean we may not be able to fix this problem but we can still help you feel better we can still help you yeah. um accomplish you know those goals that you set out to do in your final weeks or, or what have you. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's like reframe, refocus kind of our perspective, like you say. Yeah. And I think that even shifts over to our daily lives. I mean, if you think about it, um, um I talk a lot about stress, for example, in my practice, it's never going away. It's always going to be there. Um, Nor should which, we want it to. Yeah. Right. I, th- yeah. I
0: think unfortunately with the, with a lot of focus in recent years about, Stress management, stress reduction, reduce your stress. Like a lot of people come to the table with this idea that you shouldn't have stress. That's very dangerous. Yeah. But you, we we are inherently beasts of burden. We need an appropriate amount of stress in order to strengthen, to grow, to learn, to become more resilient. It's I, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Nassim Taleb's book, uh, Anti-Fragile. Yeah. So like. It, I re- I, I, when I read that book, I'm like, well, I've said to Melissa before, I'm like, almost everything about being a human being falls within that category of anti-fragile, where we become more resilient as a result of something stressing our muscles when we work out, or our lungs when we're running, or you know, our mind when we have to overcome a difficult problem-solving task, or whatever that thing is. And there's certainly too much stress that would break the system, and, and but then when we swing too far the other way, and it's like... Let's, let's avoid stress at all costs well then you what are you left with you're gonna you're gonna weaken the the state of your body of your mind of your emotions
1: everything and that's
2: where you see destructive habits coming into play over exercising numbing with pills or medication or alcohol
1: isolation you know? yeah 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 for sure I mean the challenge is to seek out those stressful experiences that we can grow from and maybe limit the ones that are aren't going to get us anywhere. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, and,
0: and starting, I had a great conversation. Melissa came home yesterday. I had a great conversation with our neighbor uh, yesterday about his son. And we were talking about stress management. He's, you know, he's struggling with some anxiety stuff and, and depression and these sort of things. And, and so we were talking about things like cold water exposure and meditation and some of these different tools that have been really effective for me. And the nice thing about those sort of avenues is it's very controllable, Mm -hmm. right? Versus, hey, you got to get more, you know, inoculate yourself to stress. So go do this really scary thing. Like sign up for this class or something you're really nervous about doing or go do, you know, start going to this gym. You haven't exercised in 20 years. Like, there's other ways to start to inoculate yourself for stress management that are very controllable and within your own, like you get to choose. I'm going to sit and meditate for two minutes today. I'm going to set a timer and it might be the worst two minutes of my day, but eventually it won't be. And eventually I'm like, oh, it's been four minutes. Yeah. Oh, it's been 10. Oh, wow. I feel different. You know, and those are the sort of things that yeah. is really cool about stress is that you can choose to kind of, there's certain things you can dial up and dial down where you right. don't have to kind of throw yourself into the belly of the beast, but we have a culture that tends to be all or nothing, all in or all out, and that can be really difficult. I'm sure in your practice you run into the, the difficulty of getting someone to understand a complex, nuanced situation with their health where, I'm gonna ask you to take some of these really small steps, and they're gonna feel like almost nothing at first,
1: I mean, I think, I think that almost if you even back it up a little bit, part of what you're talking about and what we have to do is really, we have to get in touch with our physical body, like not only our physical body, but also our mind. And so if we can't, if we're separated from that, if we're separated from our experience, it's really hard to move forward. So for example, I mean, you probably know the feeling where you, you might be driving on the road and let's say you're on the highway and you see the police car coming up behind you. Even though you know you're going the right speed limit, you get this sort of feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get pulled over. Yeah. Um, that's a manufacture that's fake, right? Because you're going the right speed limit. So your body's already wired to have this sort of fight or flight reaction, even though you are actually safe, you're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And so if you if you carry that analogy over to all the other things that happen in your life that could be a stressor, and you're always on the balance of the side of that fight or flight that's not healthy for your body and Mm -hmm. you have to start to understand those reactions that are happening within which I think you know again goes back to why I have chosen this path in medicine because it's very different from saying okay you have this take this you'll get better Um, you know you have high blood pressure take a medication let's not talk about the other stuff like you got to lose weight Mm-hmm. Um, you're under a lot of stress at your job. Um, those sorts of yeah. things, you know, that all these environmental hazards that we're under every day. Yeah. Yeah. It, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say, I, I have a client, you know, getting back to like the root causes is so important. And I just think that's not a thing that most <laughs> doctors or, you know, people in the medical world are, are even considering. You know, I have a client, I was talking to her yesterday. She came off hormonal birth control six months ago and her body has revolted in the last six months and trying to figure out and recalibrate. And, you know, she went back to her gynecologist and she said, you know, I'm, I'm working through all these things and I'm, I'm trying to do this. And she's like, what's the next step? And the gynecologist was like, let's put you back on hormonal birth control. And she's like, not an option. That's not yeah. what I'm doing. You know, so like, let's figure it. But that's, that's it. That's the next, like, it's like, well, as a doctor, I know this is the answer to this. And there's no that's it. There's no other way to look at it. You know, it's
0: also important to think about though. And listen, I was super guilty for a long time when we owned, when we first opened the gym, of just shitting on doctors all the time. Like someone was like I went to the doctor. I have to quit. I went to the doctor. They told me I can't squat ever again. I'm like, fuck your doctor. You know, I like you know. I'm like, God damn it. We you know one. I was like, I heard these about guys you are actually. these guys are ruining our business. You know, and uh, and then. You know, but I I started to look at it more closely, especially in the last five or six years, and it is very much a system. And unfortunately, you're going, I mean, you know, you go to medical school, you do all these things, you amass huge amounts of debt for most people, you get into a position where you have to work within certain confines in order to be able to manage that, and then there's certain rules to play that game. And if you don't play by those rules, then you don't do it. And it kind of feeds itself. And when I think about the relationship of supply and demand, you know, right now from a client perspective, there's a tremendous amount of demand to outsource personal responsibility, to zone out and be less in touch, more disassociated with your mind, with your body, with everything that's happening around you. Just let me binge on Netflix for nine hours and order Grubhub. Right? Like and the last, you know, the, the last year has only magnified that, but it was already happening. And you know, a lot of people are like, "Oh, coronavirus!" Like it did all these things. Like, no, they were all happening. This just shined a big spotlight on it and and made it worse, right? It, it showed you what people were already doing in some degree, and then it got worse. So then the question becomes, if the demand is this high, how do you how do you manufacture supply for something else, and then how do you get people to actually want to? seek out that supply right and it's it's very difficult i'm of the camp that i think there's two ways you could look at someone like elon musk with tesla right there was no demand for electric cars in the way that there is now before he came out with tesla and he had the resources to manufacture enough demand and say this is what i'm going to give you you didn't even know you wanted this but i built this car and these are the aspects of it that you're going to love and i know you will and he had the, the ability financially and from a resource perspective to do that. That's really difficult to do. I think outside of that, it ultimately comes down to what you're doing in your practice, what we're trying to do uh, with our clients and our coaches and, and through this podcast, hopefully, which is more one-on-one, smaller interactions where you can actually have conversations with people to start to shift that wave. Unfortunately, it's really slow. And there's a ton of momentum behind the other stuff. So it's, like, I, I don't know what the answer is to that, that challenge. Uh, but it, it's there, right? And we, we've got to figure something out. Because we're not going in a direction that's that's healthy for anyone involved. And it it's easy to demonize one character in the story. And be like, oh, you know, these doctors just want to fill people with hormonal birth control. Well, or they gave up giving a shit. 20 years ago when they were buried in debt and living in a closet at their friend's house and like, and trying to get themselves on their feet. And eventually they were just so conditioned into yeah. what they were doing yeah. that they're the same person for the person that they're prescribing this stuff to. They're, they're, they're the same people. So they're like, of course we, I'd tell you this because this right. is what I would tell me. It's what yeah. I'm doing.
2: Well, I'm, I think, you know, as society looks at doctors and we have them up on this pedestal, like they know everything. They are so benevolent they only want good for me they and they're always going to tell me the right thing to do and they take care of themselves and if you look at like doctors or nurses like they're some of the unhealthiest people Mm -hmm. um and you know we always talk about like the nurse that's out in the parking lot smoking smoking you know like you know know better but it's a you know that's a thing for sure i mean, I
1: I walked through that smoke screen on my way to shifts at the hospital Yeah. Yeah. back in the day when you could still smoke on the campus yeah that's strong um, but you're absolutely right. It's a huge, it's a huge system um, problem. Like I, I, I won't probably, i never forget when I moved to Rochester and I was looking at gyms. Man, this was probably back in the day of like RAC. Is that Rochester the the RAC. RAC. Yeah, Is that yeah. RAC, right? I think they're all closed now. But. Yeah. Well, I remember, um, you know, that first. Um, that when you go and sign up, you meet with one of the trainers and I had this meeting and I remember leaving and walking out to my car and seeing that same person walk outside and light up a cigarette. And I thought, okay, definitely not joining this gym. <laughs> you know, I mean, would you... And so this, and the same thing applies, I think, for medicine. I mean, on the one hand, we have people who are really smart and really skilled and know everything about the kidneys. Yeah. Um, and another person who's an expert at the lungs and and then even more it gets even more detailed than that like there's a a lung doctor who's only does pulmonary fibrosis a, a specific diagnosis right and so you keep boiling it down because we're learning so much and our technology is advancing so quickly you know we're we're able to boil things down to such great detail but then you lose the perspective of the human being and the individual Mm, and all the organs working together. Yeah. So that is actually versus the parts, right? Right. And, and, and the system of, of medicine, unfortunately is, is, you know, it's a business, right? And so surgeons make money off of doing an operation and, and so forth. And so you're right. It's, I, you know, I try to, uh, because I know what it was like to go through that and I know who all these who these people are that are my fellow doctors in the community I know that that's really not them
0: yeah, they're not I maliciously know. sitting in their office like how can I just screw over as many people and ruin yeah. their health as possible you know they're I mean, just trying to do the best they can with the tools they have in the space that they're they're currently sitting
1: And when you have you know specifically for something like internal medicine you know you're seeing patients who may have, five medical problems, they might be on 15 medications, and you might only see them once or twice a year for 15 minutes. How does that work? Yeah, what sort of impact
0: is expected of that person? Right. Right. Imagine just, I love this idea of taking a very specific parameter like that and just putting it in a different field and go to, you know, whatever, a manager up the street at Wankins, like, how effective do you think you would be if you could apply 30 minutes of time annually to this particular task within within yeah. your job. yeah, That's basically what you're asking someone to do yeah. with a super complex organism. Arguably the most complex organism that we know of at this point. Or if uh, you maybe octopus your, is more. I don't know. I don't know.
1: If, you, if you take your car to the shop and something's going on and they tell you, well, I only have 10 minutes today. I'm going to check your oil. Your oil looks okay. Okay, well let's try a couple of other things and see you later. Yeah. That's not gonna work.
0: Or I'm really great at fixing brakes. Yeah. I am the best at that. So I'm gonna look at your brakes. They look fine, I can't do anything else for you. Yeah. Everything else is good. If your brakes are good, everything else is good. Like and that speaks to that tunnel vision and breaking us into these individual silos, these little parts, and not like just really underestimating the value of the collective human being. Not only our physiology, but our psychology, the our emotions, our spirituality, our connection to other... Like, all of these things, they do... They feed the whole being. Mm-hmm. And we're real... Like you said, we're really good. We've gotten great because it makes sense. We can put it on paper. Hey, if I do this, then this happens. If you take this pill, then this happens. It's very clear. And it happens relatively quickly, right, compared to deepening a meditation practice for a year. And then they're like, wow, I find myself capable of managing stress far better, connecting with people, enjoying nature more, all of these things. But it took, it like creeps up on you. It's not something that, you know, a week after meditating, you're like, holy shit, I feel like I should, uh, you know, go sell all my belongings and become a monk
1: <laughs> yeah. or something like that, you know? Yeah, and I think... I think we might be in a place right now where we're really fortunate to have so many people interested in meditation and mindfulness but also trying to be careful because you know it's sort of like when yoga got really big you know now it's just a thing that people do yes and so how do we just how do we really like you know do it in the right way that works for us breath work is meditation too you know you might like that a lot more than sitting And just being with your thoughts you know for someone who can't get out of their head sitting to meditate is probably not gonna work yeah you probably need something to focus on like breath or or what have you Um,
0: I certainly did you know these are the things that like I was sharing with our neighbor yesterday finding my and, and for me I stumbled into this stuff somewhat accidentally we you know Melissa was pregnant with our first daughter and I got nervous about us having no reliable income, you know, no stable income or benefits within the gym, and I had a job opportunity that was basically dropped in my lap. Uh, so I, I took it, and that's when I was a program manager for, uh, for Warrior Salute, for a veteran nonprofit here in Rochester, and we, as a result, I had to go out and talk to people a lot. I had to present the program and schmooze and meet people and all these different things and establish these relationships. And I don't have a fucking thing to talk to anyone about. I've been, I was in the Marine Corps and then I was yeah. teaching phys ed and then I was in a gym. I basically spent like, the, you know, there's, there's not a lot, like no one gives a shit what I power cleaned two right. weeks ago, right. right? So I need to have something else to talk. So I started reading again and I, I should say, I started reading. I mean, yeah. I've read before, but I didn't really read because I, I read out of mandate. Not because I wanted to or was interested. So I started reading, listening to podcasts. I started with um, with Tim Ferriss, and yeah. you know he was always talking about meditating and the five minute journal. I'm like let me give this stuff a shot. And so it was all just kind of happenstance that I found myself there. But those were tools that, as time went by, they were really really valuable. But to your point, prior to that, I had a really hard time with. I'll, I always put it out there that I've not ever been diagnosed with any mental health issues, but I know enough about it to know that I, I definitely have, at least we'll call it, depressive tendencies mm-hmm. and, um, and somewhat heightened manic anxiety type tendencies as well. And there, this has helped me to manage those things to such a degree. It's unrecognizable. I mean, we've talked about it mm-hmm. at, at length. There was a really funny moment between us. A couple months into um, practicing meditation and journaling specifically where there's like a heated moment at home and she was frustrated and whatever my response was, I don't even remember what it was, but it was just, it was calm and measured and and she goes, and she just looked at me and said, you're so fucking zen. (laughs) And we both started laughing because it was like the weirdest thing for her to ever say to me based on the previous 12 years of our relationship. And uh It's one of those things that just creeps up on you, but to think that there's one path, one solution for every person, there isn't. You know, meditation was really hard for me, but I'm also stubborn. So when the voices were just swirling, I just sat there longer Mm -hmm. until they didn't. But for a lot of people, they don't Yeah. They're like, This isn't working, I'll get up, get me out, like eject. You know, and it might be breath work. It might be just going for a walk in nature. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I would recommend to clients for their you know their exercise programming I program in go to the woods for 30 to 60 minutes today mm-hmm. do not bring your fitbit or your phone or anyone else with you i don't care how far you go i don't care if you walk for 27 minutes or 63 or 42 like that's not the point quiet with yourself just walk and I would have people who would, here's my pace and this is how many months, I don't want that. And then when they wouldn't do it, they're like, that was terrible. I don't wanna be by myself like that. I'm like, well then you should probably do it, try to do it more a little bit. <laughs> like if you yeah. had that hard of a time being with your own thoughts for 20 minutes, walking in the woods, you probably, you've been neglecting it, right? Mm-hmm. And so now it's, it's flooding you because you've kind of patched all these holes for saying you resisted it for so long That now you're being overwhelmed by this feedback and these emotions and these thoughts and that can be scary and challenging for a lot of people and to your point things start to become commoditized and now when someone says well i'm supposed to meditate for 20 minutes a day now they're starting to feel Guilt and shame and stuff around like, well, that, why can't I do this? Everyone else is doing it. I can only sit here for three yeah. fucking minutes and then I lose my mind. And then it just makes it worse. The thing, the tool is actually making it worse. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, I was going to say that's kind of, I've talked about it before, going into these types of things with ex- certain expectations and then having those expectations not play out. So then you just, you neglect, yeah. you stop it altogether.
0: Yeah. yeah. It, we, I think human beings, and I know I've felt this many times in my life, we we have a very difficult time with the unknown like we we just yeah, want for sure. we want predictability we want to know what you know what's happening like i always share a really good example of that is leaving our last deployment the last like two maybe three months we were going home next week hmm. you want to make a bunch of people really wow. fucking angry yeah like Tell them every week that they're going home in another week. <laughs> and then just tell them they're staying for another week. Yeah. Like in that this degree of just we don't know what's going on, people start to get real itchy, you know, and we saw this with COVID with all the lockdowns. What lockdowns where people are people like, we don't know what's happening, and people are freaking the fuck out. Like, guess what? On the grand scheme of things, no one knows what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> None of us do. And that's a weird scary concept to grasp a hold of and it's really easy to to just give up with that idea and just be become nihilistic or you can start to embrace it and say this meditation thing seems to be interesting to a lot of people let me try it It doesn't really work that well for me but i found this other thing that's cool like I, i always thought kurt and i talked one time about um the sensory deprivation tanks because we did a little pilot program when i was at warrior salute with Dave and his wife here at uh, Body Mind Float Center in, in Rochester, and as a result, I was open to use the float tanks as well. So I was going. I'm like, I really like these. It's like consolidated meditation. It's like 90 minutes of meditation. And when I was talking to Kurt about it, and I was like, Hey, have you ever checked it out? He's like, No, I don't know. I'll, I'll go check it out. And I expected that he would like it. And he was I'm like, I guess he didn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, He couldn't move. Yeah, he
1: probably wanted to
0: be moving, right? Exactly, and it was it was interesting to me. But and he's you know you know Kurt very well. Like he's one of those people who is very comfortable with trying something and then saying, "Yeah, no, I don't like that." Even if everyone's like, "This is the best thing; you should do it. You should all do sensory deprivation tanks." He you know he's okay with being like, "It didn't really work for me. Mm-hmm. I don't love that." And I think we all can adopt that like that beginner's mind of let's experiment with stuff. Let's try this out. Try to emphasize for a little while, right? It, it, don't be like, I tried meditating one day and it didn't work. So I
1: stopped. <laughs> Give yeah, yourself like, some time. I, I I like what you said. I mean, I think there is a certain amount of like cultivating a curiosity. Yes. Mm-hmm. That is really helpful. Um, not only about things external to us. So, you know, I'm kind of curious about what it might be like to play the guitar. I played the piano before and I wonder what it might be like let's try yeah. it like let's just go into it being curious about it but then also bringing it internal and thinking well let me be curious about that feeling I have when I'm um, you know doing X Y or Z activity yeah. um, what is where is that coming from what mm-hmm. is that all about um, you know Melissa you touched on this um, in one of the recent podcasts that you did about um, uh, an, an experience that you had. I totally just lost my train of thought. I totally just lost my train of thought. No. <laughs> you're you're um, good. We will not edit that out. So you guys know this is real.
0: Um, it's 100% real. The, so I think one of the things as you're talking that, that just kind of popped into my mind was you mentioned curiosity of our emotions and being reflective on that. And that's, like, one of the things I would talk to Melissa about a lot is with this need to like numb our experiences in our culture, which is again going back to the movie scenario, it's weird to me because we understand that life is more interesting, it's more exciting if you feel it, if you're actively engaged in it. Yet, we're like, I'm feeling anxious, give me a pill. Why are you feeling anxious? Are you anxious specifically? Is it only when you go to work? Maybe you hate your fucking job, right? Yeah. Is it when you're standing up to give a presentation maybe it's just telling you that you didn't prepare enough it might not be that like unfortunately there are people that actually struggle with real crippling anxiety so it it is true you could have that and we also have a lot of people that anytime that they feel anything that's unfamiliar in any way it must be problematic and that mindset is just it's it's very difficult to get people beyond it and it's really troubling because now you're, you're basically treating symptoms that aren't really symptoms. It's just being a human. I don't... Um, I'm trying to think of the, the author's name. and no, it's escaping me, but there's a really good book that was recommended to me called The Language of Emotions and it talks a lot about like, this is what sadness does for you. It grounds you. It does these like, things. It has a purpose. This is what fear does for you it's not about blocking any of these things out right much like when you got into meditation you would talk about at first up until probably four months ago that there was this mindset of like oh, I, just, I can't clear my mind and like that's not necessarily what it's about you may stumble upon a clear mind from time to time but that's not the goal and that's a tricky thing for people to wrap their head around because it's not very clearly defined right it's like well what is the goal then the goal is the practice right well what am i practicing for because that's the goal right it, it's a circular argument and it's
2: well and i <laughs> think just general awareness and connection back to yourself yeah you know and i think and you know the more i've gotten into meditation specifically i've learned oh you can like go in with an intention and talk like
0: focus you know, on focus
2: something. on you know, abundance or becoming a more patient parent or, you know, either specific thing. It doesn't just need to be, okay, I need to sit here for 20 minutes in complete silence. And if a thought comes into my head, I've failed. Yeah.
1: Right. Well, also if you spent 10 or 15 minutes sitting and meditating and all that happened where all the thoughts came up and swirled, which is pretty much happening for everyone. Better then than when you're trying to go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Might as well get it out of the way now. Yeah. <laughs> be able to fall asleep later. There you go. Yeah. From a functional perspective. Like, yeah. this is
0: It's going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Whether you choose yeah. to have... I mean, and that actually speaks to a lot of things in, in life, right? Whether you choose to have your hands on the steering wheel or not, the car's moving. So, you can... It can fucking bumper its way down the highway, smashing into everything, you know, or maybe hit a nice straight patch and keep going, but... Or you could put your hands on the wheel and navigate to the best of your ability. Right? And that's a lot of stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's our life, basically. Right? Is, is understanding that we don't have complete control, nor should we, but we do have some control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do have some influence. And I would say this little... I don't know where it came from, if I read it somewhere, or just it, it popped in my head years ago, but that we are... Um, now I'm drawing a blank that we are simultaneously the most significant and most insignificant thing in the universe yeah, yeah. you know we if you sit there and Melissa looks at at our youngest daughter Aubrey and they're having a moment they're hugging like she's the most fucking important thing in the whole universe that they are to one another right and in the grand scheme of things in a thousand years no one will know who either of them were yeah right it, it's like so it's this it's this weird balancing act that we I think just need to embrace, mm-hmm. and we need to come to establish a degree of comfort with the idea that it's both.
1: Yeah, it's hard to even talk about, though. I mean, Correct. I think that's the problem. And so, you know, you you mentioned um, uh, this, you talked about you know expressing what you were feeling, and I think some people don't even have the language no. to say how they're feeling. You know, I mean, I found for me when I was in this this job. Um, That I was in at the time that I actually first of all I didn't even realize that I was having Anxiety slash panic attacks. I didn't even realize that I was depressed. It was your baseline. It just well I I just was so kind of in the zone of just doing my job that I didn't realize how much it was affecting me and I Didn't realize that that's what was going on with me because I was so detached from my body Hmm. and one of the things that I found to be really helpful was actually if I was feeling anxious to actually just say I'm feeling anxious I don't care if there's anybody just else to in the verbalize room. it and
0: recognize it name it yeah I mean yeah. that
1: that was the first step for me yeah. um, mm-hmm. or you know one of the things I like to use with people in my office is you know just asking them how does your body feel right now you know I hear you saying that you're anxious but could you talk to me a little bit about where do you feel that mm-hmm. what do you feel because I think the more that we can, um, the more that we can verbalize it, and then we can work on making peace with it. Yeah. Um, but I also even like the idea of of leaning into discomfort, which I think is what you're talking about a little bit with meditation. Yeah. Um, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. You know. Uh, do we need to confront all of our fears? I don't think we have to confront all of them, but I think. You know what is it about this this thing that I've been asked to do that I don't I don't want to do it? Why why is that? Becoming again curious about that because I think we can learn something about ourselves mm-hmm. and then we can make a better decision.
0: Well, there's you're certainly the likelihood of being presented with a similar situation down the line is pretty high, mm-hmm. and especially if it's something that's relative to a relationship or your job or your family or whatever. And you're probably going to come across it. So understanding what about that thing. Is upsetting or troubling or challenging to you? That helps you decide whether it's something you want to continue to do. You need to improve a skill set or understanding somewhere, or is it something that's like really needs to be discussed? It's not valuable for you, and it you don't really want it in your life. So maybe you need to have that discussion with the coworker, with your you know boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever your parents like. You might just need to do it. And something popped into my mind when you said, "I really like what you brought up about." naming that feeling and then then the opposite When you're talking to your clients who are already have a name for it and telling them to feel it so i I wrote down if you feel something name it and if you name something feel it love it right like and again i'm hoping i try and come up with all these little quips because i i'm hoping Mm -hmm. that we can stumble upon enough things that are like okay i get it now Mm -hmm. because you're right it is very difficult to have a conversation that's universally accessible to people to someone who is sitting at home watching 43 hours of netflix a week they go to work they've mind numb on the way there they mind-numb while they're there they come back eat on the cut like and that's a lot of people that live that sort of existence or something adjacent to it right you start having a discussion like we're having right now with them and they're like what the fuck are you talking about yeah <laughs> you know what I mean like there's just well you know, like, because also, I'm so like, far removed from the game that you're in that I don't yeah. even understand the language you're speaking
1: exactly I mean we're, we're so shaped by our experiences and so if you ask somebody I remember what it was you, you were you were talking about um somebody who um uh, basically had an experience and and you were able to appreciate why they were acting or why they were deciding or or um framing things the way they were by thinking, well, maybe that's just how they grew up. Maybe Mm -hmm. that was the environment that they were in.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, I, I grew up in a house where I don't really remember anyone crying. There was, I'm sure a lot of sad stuff that happened in my life, but sadness wasn't really expressed. I have trouble with sadness now, you know, let's just call it out Mm -hmm. and let's understand that like, it's not me. There's not something wrong with me the people that are coming to my office there's not something wrong with them that's just how you're wired yeah. so now that we know that let's work with it Mm-hmm. let's figure out where to go with that well that's wow. a really
0: important point too. point out like there's nothing wrong with you you this is this is where you are you've been shaped this way either by nature nurture likely a combination of those two things along the way and now we understand that cool Let's move forward because we can't go back and say, man, you know, when I was little, I wish I learned how to express sadness more. Like, yeah, it'd be great. Like, we've had this conversation. You know, Melissa grew up very, very differently than I did in in terms of her family relationships. And there was a point uh, a little over three years ago where we stopped talking to my mother. And, you know, haven't haven't spoken to her since. And it was really hard for, for her to understand, because she has such a vastly different yeah. yeah for Melissa, she has such a vastly different understanding of what her relationship is with her mother versus myself. And, and like, she's like, yeah, but don't you doesn't it make you sad? And her mom would say that too, like, doesn't it make you sad that you don't have this relationship like with your mom or with your real? Life? I'm like, not really.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I understand that it should, and, and do I wish it were different? Do I wish it, that I grew up and had you know parents that were supportive and healthy and loved each other and we're still around and part of our life. Fuck yeah. That looks right. way nicer than, <laughs> than what we did. But wishing about that, like it doesn't help me now and it doesn't help me to move forward. And the fact that I am where I am is not an indication of a failure on my part or anything that's inherently wrong with me. Right. However, I believe that if I accept that past as my future, that's my fucking problem, and you—that—that's where the personal accountability and responsibility steps in—is in the present, right now. You're not accountable for the things necessarily that you know that were kind of influenced upon you when you were young and growing up. Some of those things are just things that happen, and they were outside of your understanding or control. As soon as you have cultivated enough awareness around who you are, where your shortcomings are, where your strengths are, etc., and how you got to this point. It is now incumbent on you to take some sort of action and whether that's reaching out for help from you know a a medical professional or a family member or a coach or reading a book or whatever it is right it's now on you to start doing those things and that was a really difficult thing for myself personally to get to Mm -hmm. but i i did you know and a lot in the last like year or so i feel like i've even doubled down on recognize that i grew up with such a toxic victim mentality in our house and, and like such martyrdom that everything the world is against you and everyone's a motherfucker and they're all out to get you and they're like and that just it was it's deep in me and it still is mm-hmm. and i have to work to not have bring that mentality to the table and it's really important especially as a father now that i don't because I, I know I have an understanding and awareness of how those things impacted my life up until this point and how much it could impact their life you know for our daughters and it, it's just it's crazy to me but you have to you have to start to bring that awareness understand that you're not broken but you do have responsibility to grow improve shift and change based on what you know and the tools that you have right now mm-hmm. and those are likely
1: imperfect they're
0: yeah. gonna get better as time goes by
1: and I, I would say um, to kind of add to that, uh, we it, it can also be challenging to figure out what y- you talked about the tools that you have right. Some people have no tools. Yeah. And um, and then other people have Google, and 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 a, an unlimited amount of tools or apps available to them, um, or trackers, or you know, there's so many different things. And so, I think the sweet spot is figuring out, okay, I do have a personal responsibility for my health, or for my well-being, whatever you want to call it, and, you know, that's I think one of the the shortfalls of of sort of, quote, Western medicine is, in a way, we've created a system where we've taken responsibility away from, Mm -hmm. quote, patients. um, Because I come to you with a problem, you're going to fix me, I'm going to have no really active part and I'm gonna be a passive
0: they've outsourced so their responsibility yeah. to the medical system I can't do anything my doctor said I have to do this
1: so so how does one then figure out what tools there are when they're basically yeah. being told your tool is a pill yeah. um, to be to be very simple about it so
0: or being flooded to your point which is I, I thought are you familiar with um, uh, a brave new world in 1984 mm-hmm. um, I thought there is a a really interesting passage in a book that was written about those two books called Abusing Ourselves to Death. And it talks about the comparison between those two books. And basically that this book is saying that A Brave New World is the one that's far more accurate or more likely to happen. And this, this uh, review was written in like the late 80s, early 90s. This is not a recent book. It was written in, in like 1988 or something like that. And uh, he pointed. the author pointed out that A Brave New World puts us in a position where we're so inundated with information and ideas that we just were paralyzed by it. We're frozen. We don't know what's right and what's wrong. We don't know where to go because there's just no way for us to comprehend the amount of data that we're that's being presented to us. And it's really interesting you point that out, that we do have a lot of people that are on one end or the other of that spectrum on this planet where they have no real tools or very, very limited available to them or people that have an abundance of tools and so many so that they just don't use any of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so where do you start, <laughs> right? I mean, the way, what's helped me is um, you know something I've worked on with Kurt is something we call a container container. Which really is basically just your container. Are the things that fill you up, mm-hmm. or regenerate you, or refuel you? And so I have a Google Sheet that is is always open on my browser. And okay. when I when I go on there, there's different things. You know, I've I've made it up. It's my creation. You know, I've had some eyes on it, but basically, what are the things that I find me? right? Mm -hmm. I get much more of a bigger bang out of walking in nature in silence for a half an hour honestly than I do from 10 minutes of meditation but on some days it's raining and I don't feel like going outside so you know I have nature on there I have meditate on there water for example is one thing I always struggle to drink enough water so I put that on there and um, I just you know how much water well how about if we listen to our body so I started off by making myself, you know, before noon every day, drinking half of this one liter bottle of, of water. Yeah. And let's just see what my body needs. Um, and I've sort of settled on, you know, probably a liter a day. I think it's sort of a silly question in a way to ask anybody, like, well, how much water should I be drinking? It depends on what you're doing.
0: Yeah.
1: If you're sitting outside in the sun all day, you're going to need more water. But listen to your body, let your body tell you, if you're going to the bathroom every 10 minutes, it's probably too much. Yeah. You know, so water is on there for me. Um, so I've basically just created this sheet that I look at, and it reminds me of the things that, for me, are self-care yeah. uh, or refilling um, types of things. And you know, you you've talked about doing some other um, types of uh, medicines or ceremonies and that kind of thing, and I think one of the things that you touched on is if you go into that without a full container or without having prepared yourself for that experience, it's probably not going to be as good as it would be if you first worked on, you know, making sure you're hydrated, making sure you're eating good food. Mm-hmm. Um, you would want to be partying all night before you went into experience, an experience like yeah. that.
0: Yeah, it, It's certainly harder to gain... The same amount of value depending on how you show up. And, you know, I I try to not position myself as as like an expert in this because this has been under a year that I've been, you know, doing these things. But I remember the first ceremony I went to, I texted Melissa, and we got on the phone after, and I wrote about in my journal or there. Like it was there is this realization that these things I had been doing for you know, time for some time prior to going down there, namely meditation, breath work, even just physically keeping myself fit, eating well, like generally taking care of my physical body and then adding in some of these practices of mindfulness and meditation and whatnot, it left me in a position where I was far better prepared than a lot of people who had been down to several ceremonies before in terms of my physiological response, my ability to to take some of the lessons and some of the ideas and actually interpret them and download them and use them in a valuable way versus being like blown away by this otherworldly experience. And then people come out of like, I, I don't know what right. to say or do with this information. And it really, it showed me like, wow, it's a good thing you did that stuff. Cause there's definitely times where I'm like, why am I doing this? yeah Like, is this really changing anything for me? Is it really? And you're right. You, and I think that spills over into everything yeah. in, in life. Like, if you have all of these things, if your container, if you know what fills it, and you keep it pretty darn full, you're just gonna be better at everything you show up for. Whether it's your work or your family, your friends, you know, your significant other. If you you're doing some new hobby or you're getting it, like whatever it is, it, there's a there's a global pandemic, like. If you're consistently keeping your container full, the likelihood of you being able to manage those stressors, positive and negative, is much higher. Mm-hmm. And, and for you to be able to come out of it, it's one of the things, you know, it's really interesting to me about, uh, I'm losing his name, uh, Dr. D'Agostino, are you familiar with him? Mm-hmm. So he does a lot of research with, with keto and specifically for okay. epilepsy and cancer. And he's a huge advocate of like, listen, if you have cancer, you should go to the best cancer facility that you can go to. And let's talk about how eating a ketogenic diet can help you to um, to navigate the recovery and all these things. So it actually, enhan- the, the two enhance one another. Where there's a lot of people who are like, don't, you know, f- fuck the medicine, just change your diet. And you're like, maybe, but what if it could be both? You know, and it, it, to me, it speaks to that same idea of like, showing up and being able to... Take lessons from these things because you're like I'm gonna put some stuff in the container that's gonna make me more capable in this area when you know when the time does come when I'm stressed because you're gonna get sick and hurt you're gonna have something happen in your life that was unexpected a job loss a family member passes whatever it is those things happen to everyone right. it's inescapable so hiding in your house or like pretending by by zoning out on TV that those things aren't gonna be a reality in your life. It's just, it's not a, a good plan. It, they're gonna come up to you, and the more often you're filling that container and recognizing what it is that fills the container for you specifically, the better prepared you are to manage those things. And then it, life it, becomes
1: yeah. more fun. It, it just comes back to, again, like, building an awareness um, mm-hmm. and, and trying to really understand you, yourself, your body, and your mind Um, you know, I, I don't look at the container as something that every day I have to check things off on. So I caution, I caution on that side too, but it's sort of like journaling, which is one of the things on my container, by the way. Um, if I'm not feeling great or if I'm feeling really great, it's sometimes helpful for me to look at that and be like, wow, I haven't done any of these things in three days. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been raining all week, you know, maybe that's why I'm feeling depressed, yeah. yeah okay what are we gonna do about that you yeah. know maybe that's why i'm feeling this way because i missed these things so sure. kind yeah. of creating a little bit of personal responsibility but also not taking it to the point where we're going to be guilty now because we didn't get our water in and we didn't yes yeah you gotta be we gentle did. with yourself yeah. is
0: that like that's yeah. you know be be disciplined but in a gentle
2: way right mm-hmm.
0: right so and that, and that comes back to drawing awareness to these things and i think when we when we look at something like you mentioned the plant medicine ceremonies one of the things that melissa and i talked about after hers what after her first one was the value that i've that i've found personally is very high and one of the things that i that i've come to believe about it is that because so many people are so disconnected from their bodies, from their emotions, from their thoughts—they're so accustomed to disassociating. Whether it's through food or entertainment or booze or whatever, um, it—we almost need something that will like kick the door down mm-hmm. for people. I don't think that people need to go through plant medicine ceremonies to get some of the the ideas and to cultivate some of stuff. I don't believe that. What I do believe is that it's far more effective and faster. And that's what we're seeing in in all the mental health studies using MDMA and psilocybin for things like PTSD, end of life, depression, and anxiety, all of these sort of really difficult to manage mental health issues. And like, hey, three treatments, you know, three psychotherapy sessions with MDMA and this person, it's like 10 years of consolidated therapy. Like the outcome's not drastically different than someone who excels through uh, uh, the just regular talk therapy, but it's why would you why the fuck would you want to not want to consolidate that time? And be like, I can get from here to here in you know a fraction of the amount of time and then continue to build off right. of it versus looking at it like a you know something that you have to be reliant on or a crotch. It's like, no, this is another tool that can help us break out of these really deeply ingrained stuck patterns that we're in because that shit's hard, it's hard to get out of it. You know that we we've talked before about with our relationship. Like, I'm lucky to have had someone like Melissa in my life who wouldn't give up on me because for such a long time I didn't believe that I was worthy of love, of receiving love. I deep I didn't believe that like deep inside of me, and I tried many many times and many different ways to alienate her and push her away. And even now we joke about it I'm like. It took like ten or twelve years for me to get over that shit of her like yeah. standing there like a fucking warrior in my corner. So if there's some other deep seated shit that I want to work through with my childhood, I don't know. Let's find something that's a little bit more effective. I'd rather not be like right. eighty three, like I finally cleared my head of the shit, now I'm ready to die tomorrow, okay. sort of thing. Like, you know, like let's let's move it up. And it and it also gives me access to things that that were way more difficult for me to understand prior to. Specifically for me um, like interconnectedness and spirituality was a, was a huge one that I, it was just a foreign thing to me and not anything that I um, put much weight into uh, and wouldn't even know where to start. It, it would be similar to what we said before, the person who is so disconnected from themselves listening to this conversation and being like, what are you guys talking about? Right. I, I'm, the, I'm like, I'm just not there. So there's certain tools like like that, that are out there that I think can help to kind of get someone unstuck out of that deep rut that they're in mm-hmm. and then and then start to be like, okay, let me try this meditation thing. I don't know anything about it, but I'll try it, right? I watch a lot of people do a lot of weird shit in, in ceremonies. I'm like, what the fuck is that person doing? And what was interesting was it, it came from the least judgmental place I've ever found. It was much more curiosity, like you mentioned before. I'm like, What the fuck is that person doing? Well, it's interesting. And also,
1: what you said, which I thought was really interesting, was we might want weird, might be the word that comes to mind, but is it just weird because we're not doing it? Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's unfamiliar. Right? So we're all in this experience together. Like, why should it be weird for us? Like, we're all going through life together on this, you know, flying through space. Why would it be weird for us to all get together and talk about our feelings? Like, why is that weird? Or to hug someone we don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, we we all come from from. We can learn from each other too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From our, our from our collective experiences. Yeah. Well,
0: thinking about like how much work you do and in, in fl- like flipping that on its, on its side, how much work you do with female clients, you know, why isn't it weird that we say, hey, f- 14, 15 year old girl, start putting exogenous hormones into your body for the next I don't know thirty years why is that not weird Mm -hmm. that seems pretty fucking weird to me but because we've you know we've normalized it and now it's become a common thing and we've done that with a lot of stuff well and
2: we've attached it to specific outcomes so i don't want to be pregnant this is it or i don't want to have pcos or really painful menstrual cycles this is the answer right so it's that specific example but yeah
0: yeah But again, it falls into all those things, the way we feed ourselves, the way we commune with one another, all of these things that we've, we've, what we've done is we've built a framework and a construct to what is quote unquote normal. Mm -hmm. But how many things that we do right now were not anywhere near normal 20, 50, 100 years ago, right? And things that were done then are very odd now. Like, you know, doctors used to tell people to smoke some cigarettes and loosen up your (laughs) lungs. Now if someone did that, like, What? That's crazy. Why would you say that? And there'll be things 20, 50, 100,000 years in the future like, look at these Neanderthals back there in 2020, what they were doing.
1: And I think, um, you know, within Western medicine, we try to be very evidence-based, but you also have to have a certain level of skepticism there, too, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we used to have Journal Club once a week, and we would talk about the latest articles that came out but we also were very careful to look at who was paying for these <laughs> yeah, stuff. Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. And, and then also to readdress that again, um, because we are, like you said, we're doing things now that we weren't doing before. I mean, should we be taking aspirin? Should we not be t- Is coffee good? Is red, like, yeah. listen to your body, right? Like, should I be eating gluten? Um, I, I don't know, like, what happens when you eat it? Mm-hmm.
0: like, let's... <laughs> That's a great question, too. And then the person's like, I don't know. Well, then how could I tell you? <laughs> yeah. If you don't know what happens when you eat it, I really can't give you a great suggestion around yeah. this thing. Right? And how many things historically have we emphatically known without a doubt? And then we're just proven completely wrong. Because either... You know there are certain biases or influence that were that were stripped away, or technology got better. Our ability to to understand or research or measure something got better, and things evolved. So it's always interesting to me to see people that like that will just cling to this idea. Like this is this is proof. It's evidence based in this science. And much to your point, some of that stuff th- there's. It's human error, right? There's human influence. There's bias. There's people that are funding things or not, and that doesn't mean that you throw out all science either, right? So we get this like weird thing yeah. where, you, unfortunately, you have to think critically and you got to navigate through those things and understand that this is what we know now, and this is the channel it's coming from. So understand that it doesn't mean it's false, mm-hmm. right? If the I, are you familiar with uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick? No. Um, so she's like a pretty well known nutritionist. Up like she gave this. Gave a little anecdote one time that I thought was really great. She was like, "I was on an advisory board for the the National Blueberry Association of America or something like that," and she's like, "They funded." <laughs> sounds like a really interesting advisory <laughs> She's like, I "They love blueberries." They funded a a study for you know showing health benefits of the antioxidants in blueberries or something along those lines, right? Um, so she's like, "Does that make?" the outcome of that study less valid she, like they wanted to know because they want to promote it to promote their product so it can get the point being it can get tricky like just because an industry funds something doesn't mean that it's wrong but it is something that should be taken into account mm-hmm. and then you start to measure that against other evidence and other ideas that are out there you know and then other things that can't be measured things that are difficult to explain and that's another thing you know like spinning back to the the plant medicine stuff, like that's one of the things that I've opened myself up to more within there is is like there's some stuff that we just don't get. We we just don't and that's okay. There's always gonna be something that we don't understand. There's we talked about cryptocurrency earlier, (laughs) like it's there. Right? I don't know who understands it really, but it's there, you know, and some people understand it to a greater degree than others, but to ignore it and say like, well that's nonsense. Okay, I mean, how many people ignored when you remember all those truth ads? Going back to like the cigarette smoking thing, like how many people are like ah, it's it's nonsense. Like, well, it's not. It's just it's bucking the convention of what was being done before. So you're against it because you're comfortable where you are. You don't want to change or evolve or, for some reason, we get caught up in these ideas. Like, if I believed this, and then learned something new and changed my opinion, like I'm somehow less reliable less trustworthy Mm -hmm. right i'm wrong like we're we're afraid of being wrong and social media has magnified that Mm -hmm. you know in the last 10-15 years right people's inability to Mm -hmm. their unwillingness to want to be wrong publicly and say anything so they say nothing or entrench themselves into some belief that like no matter what comes to light it doesn't matter you're not going to change their their idea around Mm -hmm. it it's it's really problematic and we, know, we talk about it a lot with our girls, like for young people, you know, I I'm I'm turning forty this year and I'm looking at this like these aren't things we had to navigate as young people that didn't exist. And our parents yeah. didn't have to help us navigate it. So like no one has any fucking clue what to do because no one has yes. had to do anything with
1: it. Yeah. so if you can start there, it becomes a lot a lot easier to figure out where you move from. Mm-hmm. Because you know, if you start with the expectation that, well, Like this is the age old dilemma of how to do this. And I'm starting from not knowing. And so I'm going to be forgiving of myself Yeah, because I will make mistakes. Yeah.
2: cool. in the last few minutes, we have Aaron here. We haven't actually talked about your current practice (laughs) and what you've actually moved to. So tell us a little bit about to the listeners, you know, what moving away from the hospital, where you're at now, um, and then what kind of tools you use for your patients to kind of get them healthier.
1: Yeah, I think it's still maybe evolving, you know, now, uh, but I left what I was doing in hospice and palliative care about three years ago to start my practice, Mindful Medicine, and uh, as part of that, I did training in acupuncture because I found for me acupuncture was really helpful um, with with anxiety, depression management, and also I was working in a system where uh, we were kind of going through the opioid epidemic and Pain was the fifth vital sign, and so you know if you're being met, if if you're being measured by outcomes of how what people's pain levels are, uh, really the the way that we were treating it was to just give them more opioids to get the, their pain levels down, yeah. so that the scores would look good. Mm-hmm. And you know that was a very dangerous proposition. Uh, we all know kind of where that led. Um, I had I lost my brother actually to an opioid overdose, and I was like. All right, I'm not going to keep doing this. Yeah. Um, if I don't make a change now, um, I'm never going to make a change. And so I just took a leap of faith, and um, you know. And also, I'm the sort of person that um, you know I want to be happy in what I'm doing. Like, yeah. I want to enjoy going to work, and I feel like now, um, even if Wednesday's a day I normally don't go in the office, you know, I don't mind going in and taking care of a few things. I like seeing my people. I like building these connections. Even just giving an example for you guys. You know, when, when I was in my previous job, um, my network was pretty much other physicians, which which is great, but it's a very biased point of view. Yeah. And, um, you know, now I'm meeting with chiropractors and physical therapists and massage therapy, and these are the things that I'm... Um, referring my patients out to me. Occasionally I have somebody who needs to have a colonoscopy because they had a family history of cancer and so I'm sending them to a GI doctor, but I'm enjoying my life so much more now because I'm learning about all these other things that we really didn't get much of in medical school. A couple of days of nutrition maybe, you know? Uh, So yeah, so my practice is really just helping people. I really focus a lot on so I'm seeing a lot of people with, with back pain and neck pain. Um, and then depression slash anxiety, other mental health things. Not to be too simple about it, but I think one of the things that people like about my practice is they're getting to talk to a physician for an hour. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. You know It's huge. Um, mm-hmm. I'm happy, and, and I'm also happy to do the homework, too. If there's something I don't know, I will find out for you. Yeah. So... Um, So it's sort of a consultative type practice. Um, It's not the only thing I do Um, I have some other consulting that I do on the side, but I love it and you know It's led me to create a mindfulness course. It's taken me on this journey of mindfulness, which again, I'm Spreading the news about it because it helped me so much Mm -hmm. Um, And I think when you can speak from personal experience and you can be honest with people about hey, I I don't know what you're feeling But I know what anxiety feels like. Yeah. Right? I mean, I don't know what you're feeling right now, but um, I can tell you what this or that, or I can tell you what other people have told me. And if that can help them and, and, and again, also empower people to make changes, look, it may not be the best business model because I, I want to help people and then I want them to not need me. Yeah. I want them to
2: be, you that's know, been, to then That's been our struggle for 10 years. Right. Well, and obviously yeah. you're friends
0: with Mike and Sarah now too. They have the same struggle within their clinic. Yeah. Our goal yeah. is to get you to a point where you don't need, but, but shouldn't that be for any service-based industry? Like, I want you to be empowered. Like the idea, and I used to think I just was a jerk when I was younger with like personal training clients. And so I would say, listen, buddy. I don't want to personal train you for the rest of my life. That sounds fucking miserable, Mm -hmm. right? Like, and I started now. I look look back at that. I'm like, maybe I just recognized that I didn't want to be this person's crutch, their pill. I wanted to show them how to do these things and make sure that they were had a certain level of understanding of what tools they have access to. Right, much like when you're talking about consulting with your clients. Hey, you came in. We did, you know, we did some acupuncture today. We, We talked about this, this, and this. So here are some. Things that I really look into, and over time, that person, you know, that same client that you mentioned before that might get thirty minutes annually with a doctor. If you have someone that comes to you every other month for a treatment, now that person's got six hours. They've just amassed twelve years of visits with the you know with their with their doctor in in one.
1: And the way the way that I look at acupuncture is it's it's a tool. It it helps, right? It's sort of like. Um, if you feel that plant medicine is a tool yeah um, it's it's it, it may be like a a jump start right mm-hmm. like wow you know i didn't i've never really felt my back that way before now that you maybe have a couple of needles in it um, i mean I've, I've had some people who have such a block that they can't even access particular muscles of their body yeah right and so if you can just finally feel that muscle now maybe you can Integrate that so you are running better because your glutes are firing better. Mm-hmm. Right? So I look at it as not a fix. Nothing is. Um, right? right?
0: Nothing's a panacea. You're not, exactly. you, it's not there. There's a cost to everything, you know, not just a financial cost, but there's like a, there's, you know, pros and cons to all the things, and none of it is the final solution. Right? Which is, I'm sure you run into it from time to time. I know we do. Like, what's the best diet or the best exercise or what kind of. None of them, and all of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, whatever fits for you for (laughs) your life right now. Because what was the best for me ten years ago is very different than what it is now, and is what's the best for me right now is likely very different than it will be ten years from now. And and being okay with that, right? Yeah, you know,
1: you may not be someone who eats a lot of red meat, but if your if you are craving a steak, I'll actually follow that. I'll 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 have a steak. You know, I don't think oh maybe my body needs more iron. Or, you know, maybe that's a message from my body. If I'm really thirsty, maybe my sodium levels are down let's or, or high, right? So you kind of, again, it just comes back to, like, listening and also being okay with messing up because yeah. we're going to. Yeah. Let's just start from there, right?
0: <laughs> and not, not assigning yourself to dogma and yeah. being like, well, I can't eat that steak because then what would happen? Like, I, yeah. you know, I've told everyone I only eat fish or whatever it is that you do. right? Yeah. Those sort of things get... They get really tricky but we come back to it a lot on uh, the show just t- awareness and intention
2: we've we have and literally i think talked about awareness every single show but that's <laughs> and no matter what topic we're talking if you want to talk or about what guest we're talking to
0: if you want to talk about one tool or skill to yeah. build that that spills into every area of your mm-hmm. life that's it like do i need to work on this relationship i don't know what the fuck does the relationship look like have you ever sat and really thought about it like do I need to work on my physical health, or do I need to change my job, or whatever those things are? It's all awareness. Is gluten bad for me? I don't know. You want yeah. me to tell you how you feel when you eat a piece of bread? Doesn't that sound insane? Yeah. It's <laughs> like, and so it, it we do talk about it a lot, but it, and, and I'm glad that Aaron's brought it up this uh, so many times during this conversation about awareness and recognition and being connected to mm-hmm. your responses to things and just being curious about it why do i feel anxious why does my stomach hurt why does it like oh what did i do before this oh i look at my my container i haven't done any of these things in the last three or four days it's not about perfection and i think a lot of these little sayings these quips they get posted on the internet and so that they lose they become cliche and they they people give them less value but they are really valuable. It's it's progress, not perfection. Like, that's that's a real thing. You have to be in love with the journey, not the destination, because there is no destination. There's no point of arrival. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get to what you thought was a point of arrival, there's a whole other landscape for you to live in. I mean, at. the
1: destination is the present. Yeah. Right? Like, we're all trying to sort of arrive there and be okay with being present. Yeah. Um, I know we have to go, but if yeah. I could just give one... Um, Tool for awareness yes. that I really like. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it's tuning into my senses, and I like to just find myself at a park, going for a walk, and um, I don't do it with headphones on. Um, you know, just it, you need to be in nature, and I think um, I try to allow myself to explore my senses. So I'll spend maybe the first part. What do I? What do I see? You know, just being present with what, mm-hmm. what do I see and then moving to a, what, do I, what do I, what am I feeling? Um, what do I smell? Mm-hmm. What do I taste? Uh, what do I hear? Um, or you could just make the whole walk about what you hear. I mean, there, there have been times where I've been walking through the forest and I feel like it's a, it's a soundtrack. The birds the bird chirping goes way up and then the, it comes down and then I start to hear the yeah. water and then I start to hear the wind and I, I finish after that walk feeling very aware. Of like my body and my surroundings, so it's really just using our senses, which is innate to us, yeah. um, to cultivate that level of awareness. I love that because yeah, it's so cool. it's
0: so simple, and I think it doesn't carry the it doesn't carry the stigma of or or whatever the challenge that people create in their own minds of sitting and meditating, like you said before, where a lot of people are like, this is not something that I can really gain immediate access to because it's so unfamiliar for me, and this is one something that's like, what's well, just Walking outside. You can do it. And there's really no way to do it wrong other than not doing it at all. It's and you a, could
1: tune it if you want. You know, you could do a barefoot walk. Yeah. Or you could. I, I love doing that with right? Kurt. <laughs> it's
0: easy.
1: So yeah. it's it's cool. good stuff. Awesome. Aaron,
0: thank you so very much. We really appreciate it. Um, guys, thank you so much for listening. Please um, share this episode with anyone you think could gain some value from it. Um, go ahead and spread the word about not only our human experience, but also about Aaron. We'll leave some uh, information in the show notes as far as his practice and some of the things that he mentioned during the show. We love you all, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.